You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And this week we have new listeners from London, Sheffield, Bournemouth, Manchester, Dartford, Stockport, Liverpool, Cardiff, Chester, Chelmsford, Portsmouth, Birmingham, Ipswich, Derby, Leeds, Southampton, Guildford and Bristol, all here in the UK. We also have new listeners in France from Lyon and Paris, in Spain from Alicante and Barcelona, from the Netherlands in Amsterdam, Rotterdam and The Hague, from Germany in Dusseldorf, Cologne, Munster, Koblenz and Munich, from Copenhagen in Denmark, from Gothenburg in Sweden, from Oslo in Norway, from Helsinki in Finland, from Geneva in Switzerland, from Vienna in Austria, from Budapest in Hungary, in Italy we have new listeners from Milan and Venice, from Belgrade in Serbia, from Tel Aviv in Israel, from Johannesburg in South Africa, and congratulations to South Africa on their victory in the Rugby World Cup this week, from Karnataka in India, from Colombo in Sri Lanka, from Hyogo in Japan, from Tapai in Taiwan, and big welcome to you, our first ever listeners from Taiwan, from Melbourne, Adelaide and Perth in Australia, from Sao Paulo and Belo Horizonte in Brazil, from Kingston, Jamaica, from Quebec in Canada, and in the USA we have new listeners this week from San Francisco, Boston, San Diego, New York, Pittsburgh, Minneapolis, Atlanta, Denver, Rochester, Jacksonville, Washington DC, Houston, Dallas, Indianapolis, Albany, Phoenix and Los Angeles. So once again, new listeners from right around the globe and it's great to have you all along. I do really appreciate you and of course all my regular listeners for giving up half an hour or so of your week to catch up on the latest in the world of GDPR. As always, I hope you find the programme useful and informative and entertaining. And if you have any feedback at all on the show, whether it's things you like, things you don't like, suggestions for future articles, suggestions of people you'd like to see interviewed on the show, then please always feel free to drop me an email to podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk. And I will take note of your comments. I do read every single email that we receive. Unfortunately, I don't have time to reply to everyone individually, but please be assured your emails are read and where appropriate and wherever we can, we incorporate your changes into and suggestions into future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. And so in just a few moments, I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's episode of the show. Check us out on Facebook. So coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have... An update on GDPR and Brexit following the announcement of a general election here in the UK. We have news of an alleged data breach for the BBC, which they suffered at an employment tribunal. We have news of a data breach on an email from West Berkshire Council. We have news of a data breach with Italian bank Unicredit, which has potentially exposed... 3 million customer records. We have news of a fine imposed on the Austrian post office by the Austrian ICO 
a fine of 18 million euros for a GDPR violation. We have news of a data breach at one of the first domain name registrars on the whole internet um, from web.com, register.com and network solutions. So the details of their data breach and what's happening there. We have details of a potentially very large data breach at Adobe Creative Cloud. We have news of a data breach in Canada from a Canadian financial organisation called Zedardine and a data breach which has occurred there. And finally for this week's episode, we are pleased to be able to report that Facebook have finally settled their legal appeal against their penalty for Cambridge Analytica and all of that data breach scandal which occurred last year and we've brought you before in other episodes of the GPR Weekly Show. When Facebook have finally dropped their appeal and have agreed to pay the half million pound fine to the UK ICO. So as normal, a complete range of subjects in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. If you're based in the UK, you will of course be aware that this week the UK Parliament passed a bill which means that Parliament is now suspended ahead of a general election which will come up on Thursday the 12th of December 2019, so just two weeks before Christmas. As a result of Parliament being suspended for the election, it means of course that nothing will move further forward on the withdrawal bill and so there will be no update on Brexit and GDPR, or at least no significant update on Brexit and GDPR, until after the new government is elected, which is happening as we say on the 12th of December, so that we should know our new government on the 13th of December, assuming that a party achieves a clear majority. If that doesn't happen, no doubt we will enter into a short period of negotiation whereas parties decide who's going to work together with who in a coalition. But either way, it would seem unlikely now that there's going to be any significant move forward on GDPR and Brexit until the early part of January 2020. Obviously, if there is any developments, we'll bring them to you in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show, but we are not expecting any significant developments until January 2020. During the election period, we will try and give fair coverage to all of the parties who are standing in the uh, 2019 election, the election to be held on 12th of December, and we will, of course, bring you any GDPR-related stories to any of the election campaigns during that period. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The BBC suffered an embarrassing data breach this week when they accidentally revealed the names of 120 women who were involved in an equal pay dispute. The names were involved in an equal pay case being brought against the broadcaster by one of their presenters, Samira Ahmed, during an employment tribunal. As part of the legal document bundle, the 
BBC intruded a document which named BBC women who had put their names to a letter issued by the National Union of Journalists, the NUJ, in an attempt to address unequal pay at the BBC. The document was made available in unredacted form to members of the public and the press who could therefore see all of the names. The BBC has denied responsibility for the breach. A spokesperson for the corporation said the letter was an NUJ document making a complaint on behalf of the members named. It was included in the claimant's disclosure and annexed to a letter referred to specifically in the evidence of the NUJ witness. At the request of the claimant's solicitors, it was included in the legal bundle that was made publicly available following evidence sessions in the court. It is fundamentally wrong to describe the NUJ's evidence as a BBC mistake, they added. The NUJ, however, said the BBC was responsible. Their spokesman said, It's very concerning that the names of the individuals who made a group complaint via the NUJ to the BBC were included in the bundle prepared by the BBC. While the collective grievance was referenced in the NUJ's evidence to the tribunal, the names of the BBC employees were not and should have been redacted. The BBC yesterday emailed the staff on the list to notify them that their complaints, and in some cases their pay grades, had been made public. Ahmed is currently seeking almost £700,000 in back pay from the broadcaster in an alleged breach of equal pay legislation in a case supported by the NUJ. The case compares the £440 per episode that Ahmed was paid for presenting a programme called Newswatch with the fee of £3,000 per episode received by Jeremy Vine for the programme Points of View. The argument of Ahmed and the NUJ is that Newswatch and Points of View are essentially similar programmes and therefore the pay received by the presenters should be in line. The tribunal is the first major equal pay case since the BBC's gender pay policies came under scrutiny in 2017 when it revealed there was just one woman amongst its 10 highest paid employees. Ahmed's legal team have argued that the two journalists do a very similar job as both shows the presenter led and explore audience feedback on BBC programmes. The BBC, for its part, says it did not break the law requiring equal pay for equal work, insisting that two programmes were totally different programmes for totally different audiences. Ahmed has presented Newswatch since 2012 and also presents Front Row on BBC Radio 4. She has previously secured an agreement with the BBC for full back pay for her radio work after it emerged she was paid up to 50% less than her male equivalent. If we receive any update on this data breach from either the BBC, the NUJ or from Ahmed herself, then we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. In our experience now as a consultancy with over 140 clients, both in the UK, Europe and the USA, one of the most common reasons we see for a data breach and for people potentially falling foul of GDPR is the misuse of people's email addresses in CC emails copied to a large group of people without the permission of those people named in the CC to use their emails. And this week, uh, a council, not a client of ours at the moment, but we're always open to new clients, um, a council, West Berkshire Council here in the UK, 
suffered at age of breach when they shared more than 1,000 people's email addresses in one email. West Berkshire Council sent a leisure survey on Friday to 1,107 recipients who could all see each other's email addresses. The council says it's reported the incident to the Data Protection Watchdog, the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, and the ICO has said that anyone with concerns about their data can report it to them. The email in question was reminding leisure centre users who would not yet returned the survey that they were running out of time to return it. And it was the sort of email which we might all send. Its wording was, we are sending a reminder email in relation to the 2019 Leisure Centre User Survey. If you were ready to complete the survey, please accept our thanks for participating and apologies for sending you this reminder. If you have not yet completed the survey and would like to take part, with the opportunity of winning one year's free membership, there's still time, but please note the survey will close at the end of the day on Sunday, November 3rd, 2019. The survey can be found at and then give us a web address. Your views are important to us and help with funding decisions and future plans around the new leisure contract. I'd like to thank you in advance if you decide to participate, etc, etc. So a fairly innocuous email that by itself presents no problem at all, except in sending it, West Berkshire Council revealed 1,107 emails to people who had no right to see those email addresses. And of course, those email addresses may end up being used by some of those people unscrupulously for marketing or whatever. The council subsequently sent a second email saying, we're really sorry that your email address has been shared in this way. It said that a member of staff had inserted addresses into the wrong field when composing the email. As the breach only happened on Friday, we've not had an opportunity to contact the ICO to get any comment from them, but we would very much doubt in this particular case whether the ICO would like to take any more action than giving uh, West Berkshire Council a little slap on the wrist. Um, The important thing though, and we would stress this to you and indeed we stress it always in our training, is to ensure that any minor data breach such as this is still recorded in the data breach register. So West Berkshire Council should still somewhere in the data breach register record the number of people involved, what happened, what they subsequently did about it, so that should there be a query in the future, they're able to look back and very simply see what happened. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The Italian bank Unicredit this week suffered a data breach exposing nearly 3 million customer records. On Monday this week, the Italian bank and financial services organisation Unicredit said that a compromised file, which had been originally generated back in 2015, was the source of the security incident. In total, roughly 3 million records were exposed, revealing the names, telephone numbers, email addresses and cities where clients were registered. It is understood that while Unicredit caters to an international client base, all the records involved in the data breach related to Italian customers. Unicredit was keen to emphasise, however, that the data leak did not include any financial information or any of the credentials required to access client accounts. Therefore, those involved in the breach have lost personally identifiable information, PII, which can be used in social engineering campaigns and potentially contribute to identity theft, but the chance of unauthorised transactions caused by the data leak is regarded as being slim. 
Uni Credit has launched an internal investigation into how the breach took place and has informed relevant authorities, including law enforcement. Impacted customers will be informed by post or via their online banking. In a statement for UniCredit, a spokesman said since 2016 the group has invested an additional 2.4 billion euros in upgrading and strengthening our IT systems and cybersecurity. Customer data safety and security is UniCredit's top priority and in June 2019 the group implemented a new strong identification process for access to its web and mobile services as well as payment transactions. This is not the first time that UniCredit has faced a data breach incident. In July 2017, the bank said it had become a victim of data theft due to a third-party provider accessing Italian customer data without consent or authorization. It was then found that two separate data breaches had occurred, one between September and October 2016 and another between June and July 2017. In those cases, information belonging to approximately 400,000 Italian customers was involved, including PII and IBAN numbers. If we receive any update from UniCredit or from the Italian ICO, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Austrian Post, the main post office service in Austria has been fined 18 million euros for a GDPR violation by the Austrian ICO. The Austrian ICO concluded that Austrian Post had been illegally selling customer data in breach of GDPR. The data included such items as which political party the customer supported and other information relating to frequency of purchases of packages and deliveries. Although not banned under GDPR, the authority also found that Austrian Post had processed data on package frequency and frequency of relocations for the purpose of direct marketing. The size of the fine was imposed to discourage the postal operator from doing it again. Austrian Post does have the option to appeal the decision through the Austrian Federal Administrative Court where the fine will either be agreed, dismissed or altered. And our understanding at this time is that Austrian Post are intending to appeal this decision. So we will of course keep you updated when we know when the appeal is going to be held and what the outcome of the appeal is. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. One of the first domain name registrars on the internet has disclosed a major data breach this week. The registrar, who trades under several different names, including web.com, register.com and Network Solutions, suffered a data breach in August this year. A disclosure notice that was published across all three sites revealed that on October the 16th, the company had determined that a third party had gained unauthorised access to a limited number of their computer systems in late August 2019 and as a result account information may have been accessed. According to web.com, the contact details included usernames, addresses, phone numbers, email addresses and which web hosting products had been purchased were all acquired by hackers as a result of the data breach. While customer passwords have been reset as an added precautionary measure, a spokesperson for Web.com 
said that it encrypts all user passwords and that the company believes that no passwords would have been obtained by the attackers. A spokesman for web.com said, We encrypt account passwords and do not believe this information is vulnerable as a specific result of this incident. As an added precautionary measure, customers will be required to reset passwords the next time they log into their accounts. As with any online service or platform, it is also good security practice to change passwords often and use the unique password for each service. The good news for web.com is that no credit card data was compromised during the incident. Web.com have confirmed that all of the customers' credit card numbers are stored in a payment card industry PCI compliant encryption standard and there was no sign the attackers had been able to access users' credit card information. However, as always, we would recommend that customers of web.com monitor their credit card accounts and if you do notice anything out of the ordinary, then do notify your credit card provider. The only other thing we would add on this, I think, is to say please be extra vigilant against any potential phishing emails that criminals may send using the information stolen from these breaches. So if you get an email which purports to be from web.com, register.com or network solutions and you don't believe it to be genuine, then play safe and don't release any information in the reply to that email. If we receive any update on this data breach from either web.com, register.com or Network Solutions, we will of course bring it to you as soon as we can in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Adobe have suffered an embarrassing data breach which has potentially exposed nearly 7.5 million Creative Cloud accounts to the public. Recently, Adobe accidentally allowed private details of nearly 7.5 million Creative Cloud accounts to be exposed to the public, putting those users at risk of scams and hacking attempts. First reported by Comparitech on October 25th this year, they discovered that account details for Adobe CC users were exposed in a database that could be accessed by anyone through the use of just a web browser. No passwords or security bypassing were required. The account details included email addresses, creation dates, products used, current subscription status, country, region information, Adobe employee or member ID status, their last login info and their payment status. There was some good news at least in that the specific details of payment information and passwords were not stored in the same database and so it's not believed that anyone had access to these details. Comparitech and Bob Diachenko, a security researcher, say they notified Adobe of the problem immediately on the 19th of October and estimated that the issue was present for about a week before Adobe locked down the database. As of now, it's unknown if anyone actually accessed the data while it was exposed. For their part, Adobe have been quick to confirm the vulnerability in a security update. In a statement, they said, At Adobe, we believe transparency with our customers is important. As such, we wanted to share a security update. Late last week, Adobe became aware of a vulnerability related to work on one of our prototype environments. We promptly shut down the misconfigured environment, addressing the vulnerability. The environment contained Creative Cloud customer information, including email addresses, but it did not include any passwords or financial information. This issue was not connected to, nor did it affect, the operation of any core Adobe product or service. 
We are reviewing our development processes to help prevent a similar issue occurring in the future. Should you have any questions, we encourage you to contact us at https colon slash slash helpx.adobe.com forward slash contact dot html. It's believed the data was viewable for just over a week, but it's unclear exactly when the database first became publicly accessible or if there was any unauthorised access of it. If you are an Adobe Creative Cloud user, and obviously millions of us are, myself included, please again do be careful that if you receive an email that looks like it may be from Adobe or their employees, but you're not sure, be aware that it could be a potential phishing attempt. And so if you're not sure, double check with Adobe via alternative channels before you provide any information requested in an email received from Adobe. We will be keeping a watching brief on this and bring you an update in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The Desjardins Group in Canada had a data breach in June which affected all of the financial cooperative's 4.2 million members prompting government reforms to protect personal information in the Canadian province of Quebec, an official said on Friday. Quebec Finance Minister Eric Girard said the province would take steps to improve cybersecurity and the protection of personal information in the wake of the data breach at Desjardins. It's an extremely serious incident, Girard said in a statement. Quebec's security watchdog, the Autorité de Marche Financière, said on Friday that it had been advised by police that the leak was more significant than originally announced. Montreal-based Desjardins said in June that unauthorised access of internal data by an employee had led to the breach of personal information including social insurance numbers, addresses and details of banking habits. The breach was said to expose the information of 2.9 million members. Girard said Desjardins is adequately managing the incident well although he acknowledged there had been a delay in discovering the data thefts. Obviously, this is outside of the remit of GDPR, but because of the number of people involved, and because we know we do have a number of listeners in Canada, we felt it was appropriate to bring this event to your attention. If we get any update on this, either from Desjardins or from the Quebec authorities, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. After a protracted legal process, Facebook has finally agreed to pay the full £500,000 fine imposed by the United Kingdom Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, for the Cambridge Analytica data breach, which we've reported several times here on the GDPR Weekly Show. The ICO alleged that Facebook had failed to protect data gathered by Cambridge Analytica from approximately 87 million Facebook users. Facebook have been legally challenging this for the last year and it's estimated that probably Facebook's legal costs are now more than the £500,000 penalty which has been imposed. As part of the settlement of paying the £500,000 fine, it was agreed that Facebook and ICO would each pay their own legal costs. 
It does mean that portions of other investigations into Facebook, which have been put on hold pending the decision on this case, can now proceed. And the ICO is understood to be taking steps to proceed with these as quickly as possible. It is worth noting that if the offence with Cambridge Analytica had taken place after the introduction of GDPR, then Facebook could have been fined up to £17 million, rather than the half million that they have been. In a statement, a spokesman for the ICO said the ICO welcomes the agreement reached with Facebook for the withdrawal of their appeal against our monetary penalty notice and their agreement to pay the fine. The ICO's main concern was that UK citizen data was exposed to a serious risk of harm. Protection of personal information and personal privacy is of fundamental importance, not only for the rights of individuals, but also, as we now know, for the preservation of a strong democracy. We are pleased to hear that Facebook has taken, and will continue to take, significant steps to comply with the fundamental principles of data protection. With this strong commitment to protecting people's personal information and privacy, we expect that Facebook will be able to move forward and learn from the events of this case. Henry Kinmonts, Director and Associate General Counsel for Facebook, also commented on the agreement. He said, We are pleased to have reached a settlement with the ICO. As we've said before, we wish we had done more to investigate claims about Cambridge Analytica in 2015. We made major changes to our platform back then, significantly restricting information which app developers could access. He went on to say, Protecting people's information and privacy is a top priority for Facebook, and we are continuing to build new controls to help people protect and manage their information. The ICO has stated that it has not discovered evidence that the data of Facebook users in the EU was transferred to Cambridge Analytica by Dr. Cogan. However, we look forward to continuing to cooperate with the ICO's wider and ongoing investigation into the use of data analytics, and in particular the use of data analytics for political purposes. So it looks like at least this stage of the action against Facebook has finally come to a close, but there will of course be ongoing action against Facebook for various other breaches and we will continue to bring you updates on those in forthcoming episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us at Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.